Imagine That Studios, in association with Ace Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 4, the official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. You know, Eliza, while we are away in the States, I must admit that the archives appear to hold up rather well. Why would you say that? All of a sudden, without provocation. Well, our intern of exceptional excellence, Catherine, did manage to hold the fort, as the Americans would say. Of course she did. No missing files, nothing out of order, everything exactly where... It should be. Out with it, Braun. What? You're hiding something. I know it. You're giving me that look. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, yes, you do, darling. It's that look. The look you have now. The look you had when you started reading. Eliza, what are you reading? Oh, this? Nothing. For a spy. You are a terrible liar. It was just a note from Catherine telling me what really happened while we were in America. Archival difficulties. She didn't... She didn't misfile things, did she? No, but it looks like Brandon was involved, and Mm. because of her, he absconded off to Canada for a touch of intrigue. Really? All because of our little Catherine? As I always say, Eliza, you have to watch the quiet ones. Really, Wellington? You don't say? Beneath Northumberland by K.T. Brisky and P.C. Herring With cryptic thanks to Blythe Haynes Part the First in which our plucky intern discovers that maple syrup is a poor bonding agent and her countryman discovers the lengths to which he must go to calm her. London, March, 1896. The moment he heard her screams through the heavy door to the archives, Agent Brandon Hill knew he was in trouble. Instinct drove him as he vaulted over the spiral railing, hitting the floor with a hard thud. Get back here, eh? Oh, take off, you! The wails increased in volume and intensity. No, no, not Mr. Books' favorite teacup! A crash of ceramics sounded behind the archive door. You hold her! Brandon paused outside the door, breathing hard. When Eliza had asked him to occasionally drop in on their young intern whilst she and Wellington toured America, he hadn't thought it would involve quite so much shrieking. He rapped on the door. Um, Catherine? You've got the teacup, eh? So don't you think about going after? A cat yowled in indignation. Archimedes! Stepping in, he stopped short, forgetting how the muscles in his jaw worked. The archives, the masterwork of one Wellington Thornhill Books Esquire, a shining example of order and organization within the bowels of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, lay in a chaotic mess. What the bloody hell... Is A crash from the back of the archives cut him off as another set of boxes toppled to the floor. Catherine, are you all right? Watch your head, eh? 
Something whipped past him, narrowly missing his temple. Brandon dove to the ground, scattering a pile of papers under which Archimedes, the resident feline, had taken cover. The mysterious missile ricocheted behind him with a clang and then zoomed to another corner of the archives. Feeling in the boot for one of his throwing knives as he returned to his feet, Brandon glanced up and saw Catherine standing, pale and disheveled. A jug dangled from her hand, dripping maple syrup onto her shoes. Not as sticky as I thought, eh? Brandon massaged the bridge of his nose. Do I even want to know what you're doing with that? Well, I was using it to secure that compass, eh? Worked while Mr. Books and Miss Eliza were here. But then, they left the archives to me. And then the compass started moving even more. And I couldn't get the maple syrup I wanted, eh? And there's only treacle here. And treacle doesn't work the same. And then I found some maple syrup in my room. And then... Catherine! Brandon held up a hand. Yes? The intern looked as if she were about to faint. Breathe. She let out a short <gasps> gasp, but appeared no calmer than she had a moment ago. Start again. Catherine's eyes widened. He wheeled around at the sound of her warning and caught sight as the projectile, the compass, flew straight for his head. Instinct drove him as the knife flipped in his hand before taking flight itself. The two objects collided with a ringing that set Brandon's teeth on edge and sent both in opposite directions. The knife blade into a shelf of case files and the compass on a new path straight towards Catherine. Before Brandon could shout a warning of his own or knock her aside, she held up a small wooden box. The compass struck it squarely and she clapped the lid shut. The box rattled and shook, but the compass remained trapped. Brandon exhaled. Well done. Thanks. Then she looked around the destroyed archives, her face falling as she seemed to take in the chaos for the first time. Oh, Mr. Books and Miss Eliza are going to be mad, eh? Brandon held his silence for a moment as he surveyed the mess. Indeed, the archives had seen better days. While Agent Braun would likely be understanding in her particularly maternal way, Agent Books would be livid. But they were away on assignment, and no estimation had been given for their return. There might just be enough time. Not if they don't know about it, Miss Catherine. Oh, they'll know. Catherine collapsed onto a stack of files. Mr. Books always notices when Miss Eliza moves things. They're going to kick me out of the archives. I'll have to go back to Canada. I'll never get to learn how to use black powder and dynamite. <laughs> and with that, Catherine, the formerly plucky young intern, burst into tears. Brandon stared at her, awkwardly shifting his weight from foot to foot. She was his compatriot, and Canadians were not generally comfortable with such overt displays of emotion. Bloody hell. There was a reason he had no children of his own. Youth, especially Canadian ones, were far more trouble than they were worth. Looking to break the silence with something to encourage actual communication, Hill let out a small sigh as he pulled the pastry bag out of his pocket. This was supposed to be his midday snack. It wasn't often he got over to Mrs. Simcoe's. It was the only bakery in town that sold his favorite dessert, and enjoying a sweet reminder of his homeland had become something of a weekly ritual. Ah, oh, well. The things I do for Queen, Country... And Mr. Books. He offered her the bag. Uh, honey cruller? Her eyes red and puffy. Catherine nodded, her sobs subsiding as she nibbled at the cruller. Golden brown flakes of pastry drifted down to join the paper scattered across the floor. She then split the cruller in half and offered the rest to Brandon. Thanks, eh? 
Thank you, Brandon said as he accepted the remains of his snack. Now, Catherine, start again. Tell me what happened. What is that thing? Catherine checked the box's lid again and nudged it with her foot. That's the compass from the ghost ship of Northumberland Strait. You ever hear of it? Maybe. That's near New Brunswick, isn't it? He declined to mention the assigned tasks Eliza had told him she'd set for their new intern, one of which involved securing, said Compass. Well, it... it moves, eh? The box gave another ominous rattle. She scooted further away from it. For a while, I kept it stuck with maple syrup. But after Mr. Books and Miss Eliza took off, eh, it got worse. Maple syrup? You can't be serious. Well, what else was I supposed to do? There is a marvelous tool for securing things, Miss Catherine. It is called rope. Perhaps you might do some research into its application. Oh, rope, eh? I've used that before. To string up a rabid sled dog that was chasing me across the tundra. Brandon shook his head. Clearly, he had found the source of all the recent jokes about Canada. Well deserved, indeed. Anyway, Mr. Books forgot to buy rope, and they don't give me pocket money. I had some maple syrup in my trunk, eh? So I've been using that. My pancakes have been awfully dry, though. And the back bacon, too? Oh, especially the back bacon! Catherine's eyes brimmed with tears once again. I don't want to disappoint them. She paused, taking a moment to calm herself before continuing. Mr. Books doesn't know, but I learned how to use his analytical engine, so I looked up the compass. The ship is still in Northumberland Strait. It sank a long time ago. Mr. Hill, you need to take it back for me. It needs to go to the ship's captain. Brandon frowned. But I'm due to take leave in a few days. I can't just cancel my trip to Bogota. Please, Mr. Hill, you have to. She tugged at his sleeve. It can't stay here, and I have to clean everything up before Mr. Books and Miss Eliza come home. Otherwise... No black powder and dynamite. I know. The compass just has to be returned to the wreck? Yes! Catherine's young face screwed up with thought. At least, I think so. Brandon lifted the thrashing box. Although the compass hammered around the inside, the wood seemed to be holding. He sighed again. <sighs> All right. I'll do it. Part the Second in which our Canadian agent is reunited with the gifts of his homeland, in more ways than one. If he were to be honest, Brandon welcomed a return to Canadian soil. He had been gone far too long. Perhaps it was good that Catherine had insisted on this trip. Despite the last-minute change in destination, Dr. Sound had not even blinked at the request. The rising sun bled over the eastern horizon, staining the rippling waters to his right a pinkish periwinkle. Brandon breathed the salt air and peered across the strait. A box rattled under him, striking the side that faced the ocean. Always that same direction. All right, all right. Upon hearing he was intending to go out into the water on his vacation, the Clankertons Blackwell and Axelrod had asked, insisted really, that they send some of their newest contraptions along for an aquatic field test. At first he'd hesitated, but when Catherine reminded him that the ship he needed to find lay erect at the bottom of the strait, he reevaluated. Even so, this contraption left him unconvinced. 
Built from the framework of a standard diving dress, Blackwell and Axelrod had improved the design by adding a hard-cased outer shell to reinforce the canvas suit, which they claimed would withstand external water pressure up to 100 meters. When the boiler came to temperature, he dared to step forward to pick up the box. Behind him, the steam valve hissed as the gears in his mechanical arms and legs whirred into motion. The light dimmed rapidly as Brandon trudged along the seabed. The increasing depth absorbed what little sunlight penetrated the deep. However, Blackwell had considered that inner designs. Struggling to hold on to the box, Hill turned a dial in the suit's chest plate. A pair of internal shutters opened, revealing the translucent panels that radiated the light generated by the boiler fire forward into the darkness. Even so, the aura remained weak, providing minimal assistance. And yet, the compass encased in its box seemed to have an unearing sense of direction. If it was seeking to rejoin the wreck, why not let it lead the way? Cautiously, Brandon adjusted the suit's controls, allowing for more buoyancy. Holding the box straight ahead of him, he closed his eyes and prayed. As though sensing the control he had given it, the box leaped in his hands. But as he redoubled his grip on the box, he realized the compass wasn't leading him deeper into the strait. No, it was urging him up, towards the surface. That couldn't be correct. So much for that idea. Slowed by the compass, Hill continued to along the bottom, but the awkward bulkiness of the diving dress hindered each movement. With one hard tug, the box slipped away from his grip, lurching unevenly for the surface. Blast! He cut the dead weight line, allowing the adjusted buoyancy to assist as he swam with slow, stiff strokes as the box shot away from him, growing smaller and smaller the further it went. The weight of the diving dress slowed his pace as he exerted twice the effort to swim only half as far. Fighting the urge to breathe faster lest he use up the oxygen supply he did have, he came to rest, suspended underwater as dawn's early light filtered through the surface. A low vibration rumbled through the sea. It passed through Brandon's suit, echoed through his helmet and along his breastbone. He tried to turn his head, but the suit was too stiff. What in God's name was it? The current sent him tumbling forward, but it also spun him around. For the briefest instant, Brandon saw a wall of brass looming in front of him. A submersible, he realized. Lights shone through the gloom. Before he knew it, a hatch opened like a mouth in the submersible's side. A pincer shot out, seized him by the shoulder, and hauled him inside. He fell hard on the metal floor. With one hand already on his dive knife, he scrambled upright, nearly falling over his heavy boots. He was in an empty, smooth-sided chamber, not much taller than he was. He opened his faceplate. Hello? No response. My name is Brandon Hill. He removed the helmet and dropped it to the deck with a hard thud. I would like to offer my thanks to your captain for plucking me from the water. I would, however, like to know the motivation behind such generosity. To his left, a hatch swung open. Light poured into the chamber, backlighting a small, slight figure. <laughs> Why, Agent Hill, I consider it my duty. Oh, dear God. Although the backlighting obscured any visual detail he might have gleaned, her voice rang as clear as a bell in his ears. Agent Anouk Tremblay? She stepped forward, same dancing brown eyes, slender build, and gleaming smile. She winked at him. The very same, monsieur. Have you missed me? <laughs> it is more than a year, I think, no? What in the Queen's name brings you here? I might ask the same of you, Brandon. Are you no longer under the employ of your ministry? He sighed. Ah, uh, no, mademoiselle. 
I'm still happily serving Queen and Empire. He stopped at that, not sure what else he could, or more importantly, what he should tell her. His incursion into Canada was not a sanctioned event. He only intended to drop the compass and leave. The compass. A nook. A box. Small wood. I lost hold of it. Did you see it? She frowned. You English agents, you are so clumsy. Look, I haven't the time for this. Can you help me find it or not? <laughs> of course I can, monsieur. The question it is, will you help? A knock. At that, she chuckled. <laughs> I jest only, Brandon. Oh, you have been too long at your desk, I think. Come, we will check Le Narval's sensors. Perhaps he has seen it. She came very close to him then. But uh, first, I think this must come off. Her hands reached for his waist. Madam! Brandon felt his cheeks grow hot. She said nothing, but her wrists turned, and with a clank, the seal between the two halves of the diving dress released. Now, I believe this is the part where you put your arms up, and I lift. No? With another sigh, Hill acquiesced, raising his arms as a nook lifted the chestplate over his head. Handling the suit was easier with her assistance, for which he was begrudgingly grateful. Do you need help with your trousers, Brandon? Those I can do myself, thank you. Though lacking in dignity, he shucked them with relative speed. Now, does this rig have a bridge? This rig, monsieur, is the finest of the fleet sous-marins designed by le ministère officiel de Corinth sans explication. Le Narval is a technological marvel, the finest of his kind. And... Now that you are out of that monstrosity your ministry calls technology... So it doesn't have a bridge. He has a bridge. A nook turned on her heel. Suivez-moi. He stared after her. Pardon? She shot him a look of ice over her shoulder, and he couldn't suppress the grin of his own. Finally, the tables were turning. Follow me. He trailed her through the hatch. It was a squeeze for him, and had he still been in the diving dress, he would not have fit. She led him through a short access corridor that opened into a small, single-seat control center. Bienvenue, Agent Hill. Little more than a single pilot seat and console, the bridge struck Hill as somewhat claustrophobic. Littered with knobs, dials, and readouts all labeled in French, the main console remained mostly foreign to him. A domed viewport opened directly in front, giving them an ample view of the sea beyond the hull. Aptly named, a long needle-like nose extended from the front of the ship, looking very much like a narwhal's tusk. Wait a minute. Narwhal fencing, Agent Tremblay? She smiled. Bien sûr. A screen glowed in front of her, casting a greenish light across her face. Before Hill could ask what she was doing, a loud pinging sound echoed inside the bridge. Hill winced at the noise, but a nook seemed unfazed. A moment later, the green field oscillated and a small white blip drifted across the screen. Le Narval sees something. Is it your box? Not sure. The blip looked like nothing recognizable. Can you bring it aboard in the same way you pulled me in? Naturellement. Anuk buckled a strap across her chest. I suggest you all done. Brandon scarcely had the time to grip the headrest of her chair when Le Narval surged ahead. He staggered, unbalanced, but managed to keep himself from falling. Anuk turned a small wheel set in the console in front of her, bringing the craft about. A tiny speck floated through the ocean ahead of him. You should know that the box will... Uh, 
resist you. I see. Anuk's eyes gleamed. <laughs> Many things I've tried, monsieur. None have succeeded. Hill's words caught in his throat. Uh, right then. Just think of it like you were going fishing, but do try to be gentle with it. Oh, Brandon. I am always gentle. Anuk flipped a few more switches. The arm-like extension shot into his field of vision again. Anuk bit her lip, gave the wheel a final twist, and then the arm retracted, with the box caught in its grasp. As the arm came to rest and the sounds of clanking gears faded to silence, a loud bang echoed from the rear of the sub. This time, it was Anuk who jumped. Saint-Cibouard! What on earth? That, Agent Tremblay, is my box. She turned to him, her eyes narrowed and fixed on his. Would you care to explain, Brandon? With pleasure, but perhaps with the benefit of dry land under my feet? Part the Third In which a traditional Quebecois dish and notes are shared between compatriots. Hill let out a breath he hadn't known he'd been holding as he dropped the last piece of the dive suit onto the beach. He would, of course, be expected to return the equipment, and knowing the Clankertons, they would want a full report on its use. He already had the first few words in mind. Too bloody heavy. Brendan? He looked over his shoulder. A nook emerged from Le Naval, cradling a large bowl in both hands. A rich aroma mingled with the salty spray. Despite himself, Brandon found his mouth watering. Unable to tear his gaze away from the bowl, he asked. What have you got there? Our dinner? It is hard work, huh? Rescuing English agents? <laughs> now, I think we sit, we eat, and most important, we talk. Sounds romantic. She shot him a devilish grin. Of course it does. I am Quebecois, after all. Rolling his eyes, he strode to the campfire he had set while she had been securing the subpod. They were lucky. Most of the driftwood was quite dry, and the fire leapt and crackled. So, he claimed a patch of sand across from her. What's on today's menu? Poutine. What? Silly English. It is potatoes cut and fried, uh, gravy, and, of course, the most important ingredient of all. She speared a white globule with her fork and held it up triumphantly. The cheese curds. At least it's not black powder and dynamite. He muttered as he accepted his plate from her. It did smell delicious. You eat black powder? <laughs> you are heartier than I thought, hey? Hill laughed as he speared his own curd. <laughs> no, I don't think even Agent Braun could manage that. I'm referring to a colleague of mine who hopes to follow in Agent Braun's explosive footsteps. He took a sip of his water which led to this little voyage of mine. Anuk set her bowl to one side. Ah. And now I may ask, why are you here, Agent Hill? It seems that uh, when you appear, trouble is not far behind. Actually, in this matter, I'm trying to put the pieces back together after the trouble has occurred. He cleared his throat. This could take a few minutes to explain, so feel free to eat. Anuk took up her plate once again as Hill filled her in on everything that had happened since the day he had accepted the assignment from Catherine. 
Anouk seemed to delight in the idea that Hill, a highly respected field agent in the ministry, had allowed himself to be assigned a job by an intern. <laughs> I like this girl. She does grow on you. Be that as it may, that damned compass is a menace. Anouk held her silence as she considered something. Brandon, when was it that this uh, compass of yours started acting strangely? Brandon leaned back and considered. It had to have been a week ago. I booked passage for the day following the incident in the archives. The trip was about five days, and after acquiring the needed resources, I came here straight away. Silence hung between them, but a nook was lost in thought. Why? Hill was not entirely sure he wanted that answer. Because one week ago, a British ship was attacked in Northumberland Strait. There were witnesses on shore. They claimed to have seen a sailing ship, a three-masted schooner, firing repeatedly. Schooner, eh? Brandon settled back. No one's used those for almost a century. It was on fire. The British retaliated then? No, Brandon, you misunderstand. The ship rose from the waters, already burning. The flames, they were intense, but they did not consume the ship. I found a man who said he saw skeletal figures on board. The blaze did not affect them either. Shivers ran down Brandon's spine. And then what happened? The British ship escaped. Two days later, another Anglo ship. A merchant vessel bound for uh, Kingston via the St. Lawrence. It was attacked also. This time they uh, were not so fortunate. All hands were lost. Brandon's heart pounded. He licked dry lips, suddenly glad the compass and the box were safely secured in La Naval. Does Moose have any idea who is behind it? Pirates? Then, with a shudder. A Wendigo? I wish it were so simple. Anouk watched the campfire, her face growing hard. Brandon, tell me. Have you heard of the Acadians? Brandon winced. His history classes had been longer ago than he cared to admit. They were a group of French Canadians, right? Settled in New Brunswick? Moi, c'est ça. Until the English exiled them. Anouk's voice went uncharacteristically cold. They tore them from their land cast them onto the seas. <laughs> they were French, hey? Eh? And New Brunswick was now an English colony. As Brandon opened his mouth to say something in comfort or defense, he wasn't sure. She waved him off. There was a ship, full of exiles. It disappeared. Never heard from again. According to the legends, it now wanders the seas, eternally seeking its own shores once again. Suddenly, Brandon sat bolt upright, nearly spilling the remnants of his poutine over his lap. Catherine, the intern, she said this compass came from the ghost ship of Northumberland Strait. They're trying to get home. Bloody hell, they're trying to navigate. He jerked his head towards the submersible. The captain needs a compass. That's why it keeps trying to escape. It's trying to get to the ship. But why now? Anouk rolled her eyes. Sacre. Girl, how can you be a ministry agent and still be so dense? 
Oh, mon dieu, if you worked for Moose... Agent Trombley, please. The Northern Lights, Brandon. They are entering their peak now. The old stories say they are a uh, gateway to the spirit realm. Our spirit ship sees its chance, but it needs its compass to guide their way. Brandon stood, collecting his bowl and beckoning for Anouk to hand over hers as well. (sighs) Then let's return what he's lost. To be continued. This podcast featured PC Herring as the narrator, KT Brisky as Catherine, the plucky intern, Gavin Douglas as Agent Brandon Hill, and Blythe Haynes as Agent Anouk Tremblay. KT Brisky is a Canadian author, podcaster, and Pokemon master. She made her podcasting and publishing debut with Hapix, an apocalyptic fantasy with Dragon Moon Press. And she has stories in Black Treacle Horror Magazine, When the Hero Comes Home, Volume 2, Tales of a Tesla Ranger, and Tales from the Archives, Volume 3. That story, Under Oak Island, was a Parsec finalist. Select playwriting credits include scripts for Black Creek Pioneer Village, East of the Sun and West of the Moon for the Canadian Children's Opera Company, and Key of D Minor for the Sears Ontario Drama Festival. Never one to shy away from a challenge, she ventured into RPGs with Yeti's Parole Officer, released in 2014 from Choice of Games. When she's not writing, KT can often be found frolicking in petticoats at Black Creek Pioneer Village, educating the general public about Victorian social history. In addition, KT writes and edits the Black Creek Growler, the official blog of the Black Creek Historic Brewery. She also does freelance copy editing. KT still lives in Toronto with her long-suffering roommates, and she is currently working on her next novel. PC Herring has been a fan of science fiction from an early age. He has always been one of those who looked up at the night sky and wondered, what if? On 010110, he began exploring these questions when he made his debut as a writer and podcast novelist with the release of the Cybrosis podcast. Since then, he has not looked back. He has contributed short stories to Scott Sigler's The Crypt, Book One, The Crew podcast, Tales of a Tesla Ranger, Philippa Ballantyne's Chronicles of the Order, and T. Morris and Pitt Ballantyne's Tales from the Archives Anthology, where his podcast of The Seven won the 2012 Parsec Award for Best Short Story. And he is currently hard at work on his next full-length novel, Slipspace Harbinger. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order The Diamond Conspiracy. Now available everywhere in your favorite bookstores and online in print, digital, and audio. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Ace Books production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. 
Thank you for listening. listening.